Amen. Uh, as I began to pray about this week, uh, after preaching now for almost 16 years, it's not difficult for me to find things to speak about. It's difficult for me to narrow it down to what I believe God wants for us this week. Uh, can you all imagine what that's like? I mean, I, I think now we've topped uh, two or 3,000 uh, messages that are more than an hour in length. Uh, that's a lot of teaching. It's one thing to pick something that you think is entertaining or something that interests you. It's another to have something that you believe is born in the mind of God. One of my very first experiences in Christianity is as I was radically born again, the traditional church that I went to saw something had happened. And to their credit, at first I thought it was a good thing. Um, a man approached me and he, he gave me three of his sermons. Uh, that he pulled out of a card catalog file. Told me if I would learn those, he would find a pretty little girl, his words, not mine, to sing with me and book me at his friend's churches as a youth evangelist. Uh, you need to understand that at the time that sounded like everything I had ever wanted. Uh, I mean, I was so on fire for Jesus, and now the man that I most respected in this world was offering me something. And I want to tell you, what stuck in my heart was not that, uh, was not the offer. Uh, what was difficult for me was nothing about the way that he phrased it, nothing about the institution, nothing about doctrine or any of those things that you might suspect. When I went to bed that night, I couldn't sleep thinking about pulling messages out of a card catalog file and giving them to me to preach. Uh, in his defense, he probably picked messages that he thought were good, and he wanted me to make them my own. And there is nothing wrong with preaching something more than once or any of those things. But I want you to know that out of everything, the tiny little bit of discernment that I had working in me, that seemed like poor judgment. It seemed like poor judgment to take something from yesterday and try to apply it today, regardless of what God has said. And uh, that honestly saved me from going that, that route. Well, having said that all these years later... I have all these things in my mind that I would like to share with you. And what I felt the Lord beginning to move on me towards, I kind of announced Wednesday night, was about judgment. And uh, I was not all that excited about it. Uh, it's just not one of those messages to me that uh, is earth-shaking. Uh, it was foundational in my life, but not. there was no wow factor in it. Does that make sense? Can you appreciate that when you stand up, you would like to be at least entertaining uh, to preach? And... Uh, as we move through worship, I began to understand why he wants what he wants. I realized as I began to pray for our church body that there are many of you here today that feel very, very judged. Uh, that when you contemplate walking into a group full of people, you already have in your mind things that you believe they think about you. And you might be right or you might be wrong. That uh, you, some of you feel as if you have a bit of a scarlet letter around your neck. Now it makes perfect sense to me why Jesus is sharing with me what he is. I want you to turn to 2 Timothy 1.7. Our message this morning is going to be called A Sound Mind. Does anybody in here have a New King James Bible? Come on, brother. New King James is where I learned all of my scripture. Uh, so today I get caught between translations. If I can't find something, it's because I'm in the wrong translation, usually. Can anybody in here relate to that? Yep. I mean, if I hand you an Amplified Bible, does it feel like reading something different than what you're used to? Yeah. Uh, Paul, do you mind reading out loud 2 Timothy 1 7? I don't. 
Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and sound mind. I have heard this scripture, and in my mind I can quote that scripture. It does not appear in the NIV. And uh, when I went to look for it, it sent me on a, a schedule of learning. This was some years ago. And as I began to look at it in the NIV, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. A New American Standard says of discipline, not self-discipline, but discipline. And as I began to look into that, I realized that something that we have alluded to and quoted for many years is actually not quite right. Have you ever heard uh, kind of the Christianese expression, if you will, so-and-so, I think they left their sound mind at the altar when they got saved. And they quote this scripture from the standpoint of what we have now that we're in Christ is a sound mind. Uh, usually, the, the context in which this is spoken about is in regards to judgment. Well, have you heard from God? I don't know, brother, but I mean, I was given a sound mind. I want to tell you that the truth is, there is not, not anywhere in all of humanity, a particular ability that is more demonstrably flawed or fallible than our sound mind. From the very beginning, the choices that man has made, no matter what arena they were in, have brought death and destruction. This is why the Proverbs repeats not once, but doubles up on it, and says there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to destruction. Now, in Christ, we're given something else, and we will get to that. But my point is that this scripture probably more accurately relates to the way his spirit brings you into a place where you're not experiencing fear, but you're experiencing his power, his love, and his discipline, right? The way that it's, it's kind of like the, 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 the non-scripture that is quoted, cleanliness is next to godliness. Things get quoted enough that they kind of become part of our lives. And this varies from church to church. I, I was raised in one where we misquoted a scripture to the point that I really couldn't find it later because it didn't begin to resemble what was actually written. Right? It was just a, a pastor's uh, mannerisms, if you will. Or have you gotten used to quoting the scripture like from the Psalms and assuming it was David because it came from the Psalms? Uh, a man's years are, are about a hundred. Uh, I was told all my life David said that. It's actually a Psalm of Moses. <laughs> right? It, it made it all the way to David's day and then was put in a book of Psalms, but it was Moses who said it. There are a lot of things like that in our speech. And one of the things that this belies is a fundamental misunderstanding of us, of our ability to make judgments. If we operate from the idea that what it is that we have is generally a sound mind, and we also can be led by God's Spirit to make decisions, this kind of puts us on an equal playing field as far as the ability to make decisions. And so, you ever been asked this question? Hey man, I'm thinking of buying this car. Did you pray about it? It's almost annoying, isn't it? I mean, isn't that kind of... You're like, well, I'm a Christian. What, what do you think that I pray about? It? Wouldn't a much better quick question be, did you hear from God about it? We can do that. You know, I remember one of the fleeces I threw out one time. I said, Lord, if it's there when I return from lunch, I will know you want me to buy it. I mean, after all, it's got the captain's chairs and the 350 in it. I mean, right? Did you pray about it? Yes, I prayed about it. Did I hear from God about it? Not at all. Why not? I didn't want to take the time. Right? I didn't understand the ability to which, the extent to which my ability to make judgments could be false. Uh, as I began thinking about this, I would be remiss if I didn't share with you uh, 
the second most quoted scripture in all the Bible. It's judged not lest you be judged, right? It's right there, right behind John 3.16. Well, the first time in my young Christian life I ran into that scripture, I worked with a man named Paul Judge. And this guy was unbelievable. I mean, a salesman like, uh, you know, he had a picture on his wall of a guy in a business suit with a freezer on an iceberg, and he's rolling off from the iceberg, right? He has just sold iced Eskimos. And this was true about him. And Paul was African-American and had green eyes. And apparently this made him memorable among uh, some of the females in the town that we, we lived in because they came in and asked for Paul by the groves. And Paul wore a bright red shirt, uh, like a lavender color pants, and uh, cowboy boots with gold tips. And when he spoke to people... And they did not buy that day. He wanted them to remember him, so he referred to himself in a way that people rarely do. He said, come see the judge. And I kid you not, a year later, somebody had walked back in and asked for the black guy with green eyes called the judge. People never forgot it. We're not in the habit of referring to ourselves as the judge, like a noun. We want to make judgments, but we, we don't like to refer to ourselves as the judge, right? We don't want to be invested with that kind of power, and yet we take it upon ourselves to make judgments about all kinds of things. Hey, what do you think about what Obama did this week? Hey, what do you think about what Netanyahu did last week? Do you see what your neighbor's wearing? Right? We make judgments all of the time. I mean, sit in a cafeteria-style setting on any educational campus and just watch people walk through the door. Right? Heads turn, people begin to whisper, you know? Uh, one of my favorites that ladies like to say is, who does she think she is wearing that? Uh, well, evidently she thinks that she's able to wear that. Uh, why would you ask that? But these are common judgments that are made. There are seven instances in the Bible in which the word judge is a noun. Turn to the first one, which would be Genesis 18. <coughs> it would be uh, the 25th verse. There. It's all right if I teach you just a little while? (coughs) We'll start in 1822. The men turned away and went toward Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there were 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 Righteous people in it. Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? This is a rhetorical question. What is the answer, though? Of course. Of course. The judge of all the earth will do what is right, as opposed to who? This is why the Bible says God is not a man that he should lie. He's not the son of man that he should lie or change his mind, right? There is a God who is above everything. The scripture presents him as making right judgment. Maybe the dirty little secret is it presents him alone as making right judgment. Turn with me to the next one. This is going to be easy. We're going to work from left to right in your Bible. So the next one's going to be in the book of Judges. It's a little guy named Jephthah. Uh, We could talk about Jephthah all day having flawed judgment, but that's not what we're going to cover. So you'll be in Judges 11. Good. 
getting married. I do that for a lot of reasons, but one time I was preaching in a little storefront church, and there was an older lady in the back that was a guest, and I just started. I said, hey, y'all turn to Genesis, whatever, and I began to preach, and she said, she raised her hand, and I thought, oh, <laughs> what's wrong? You know, I said, ma'am, she goes, hold on, pastor, I'm not there yet. So since then I try to wait till everybody gets there. Uh, verse 27, I have not wronged you, but you are doing me wrong by waging war against me. Let the Lord judge, the Lord, the judge, decide the dispute this day between the Israelites and the Ammonites. This is Jephthah speaking about two nations that were going to war, but he reserves God's right as the judge of all mankind. Go to Job 9. This one gets better. You'll keep turning to the right until we eventually get to the New Testament, but one pit stop in Job. Yeah, you're going to be in Job 9. In Job 9, he is whining. He's complaining something fierce about how unfairly he's been treated. And in verse 15, he says, Though I were innocent, I could not answer him. I could only plead with my judge for mercy. The reason the word judge there is capitalized is because in this man's thought, and in the context of the chapter that you're reading, the judge he is presenting as God. And he speaks about God in a courtroom-style setting. Skip down to the 32nd verse. In the 32nd verse, speaking of the judge, he says, He is not a man like me that I might answer him, that we might confront each other in court. If only there were someone to arbitrate between us, to lay his hand upon us both, someone to remove God's rod, the judge's rod, from me so that his terror would frighten me no more. Then I would speak up without fear of him. But as it now stands with me, I cannot. Can you imagine being in court and representing yourself? What that must have been like? Right? Where they say that the client that, uh, that represents himself has a fool for a lawyer? Right? You can imagine how intimidating it would be. Job is presenting God as a judge and whining and complaining that he has nobody to speak to the judge on his behalf. Praise God, Timothy says that there's one mediator between God and man. The man Jesus. And has he not laid his hand both upon the judge and upon us and made the peace between the two? The reason we can stand in God's presence now in the judge's presence without fear of judgment is because the judge's son took all sin upon himself. It's good news to find out if you're in a trial, by the way, that your counselor, your attorney, is related to the judge, wouldn't it be? Be even better to find out that the prosecuting attorney called the adversary, or Satan, has been cast out of the courtroom. That'd be good news, huh? I know nobody in here has ever been up for a DWI, right? But if you had, the best news on earth would be that they lost the evidence. That your attorney was related to the judge. And that the DA is not present in the courtroom, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be good news? Look, y'all are so shocked we mentioned a DWI in church. Yeah. This is the way that the world saw God. Not much different than they see him now. An angry old man with a stick, ready to punish as a judge. Is there ever a good time you go see the judge? No. Rarely, huh? 
Even if you're on the right side of the argument, something wrong has been done to you. The judge was never a positive figure. This is one of the roles of God, but it is certainly not the only role of God. The ministry of Jesus teaches us that. We'll move on to Psalm 94. See how we're working towards the New Testament? Y'all getting excited about that? Psalm 94. O Lord, the God who avenges, O God who avenges, shine forth, rise up, O judge of the earth. Turn with me to 2 Timothy. We'll be in 2 Timothy 4. My goal here, maybe at uh, nauseam, is to present God as a judge above everything else and then ask you a question about it. 2 Timothy 4, look at the 8th verse. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on this day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Go with me to James. It will be the last book that we look at in this light. And then we'll move on. James 4. Verse 12. There is only one lawgiver and judge. How many are there? One. One lawgiver and judge. How many of you are fond of saying, I don't care what anybody thinks? Right? I don't care what anybody thinks about me. And you know that you're lying when you say it, right? That's why all you women are wearing makeup today. It's why you guys took time to put on whatever clothes you're wearing. Uh, probably most of you fixed your hair, like Darren spent serious time doing that. We all care. And yet, there is only one judge over all mankind. Look at James 5. It's our last scripture on the subject. I thought 7 would be a perfect number. I heard that somewhere. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. So from the oldest books in the Bible to the last ones written, we see, and by the way, Revelation in the 19th chapter presents God as a judge too. We see God being presented as the sovereign judge over all mankind. So what happens then when there is only one judge, only one judge's bench, only one judge's chair, and the wrong guy is sitting in it? What happens when a man decides to try to play judge? This is inherently flawed. It's a, it's a serious problem. From the very beginning, do you remember how Eve made her decisions about whether or not to do what God said to do or not? Looks good to my eyes. It seems desirable for gaining wisdom. Could be good for food. And she did something God said not to do. We are flawed in this area. There's only one that is worthy. There's only one that is able to rightly judge you. How many times have you done something that you believe God said to do, and maybe it didn't turn out like others thought it should? And what did they say? You can be honest. You can speak to me in church. You missed God, right? Who can rightly judge whether or not you missed God? What does that mean? Well, I mean, seriously, what does that mean? Let's, let's think about that. Did you miss God? What is the meaning of Romans 8, 28 then? In all things, God works together for the good of those that love Him or are called according to... So did you miss God? Or is it just one more way He's working in your life? See, we don't rightly have the ability to look at other people and play judge in their life. At least not as far as it is derived from our natural abilities. How many times have you looked at somebody and thought that they were a failure? 
How many times have you looked at somebody and thought they were a great success? The question is, there's only one judge. He's sitting on the throne, and how does he see them? You ever watch VH1? Is there, look, am I the only one in here watches VH1? Is there anybody else in here that occasionally does? You were one time tempted and, and succumbed to watch VH1, right? I watch it regularly, so pray for me if you think I'm backslidden. I, I, but I have noticed something. These bands come up, right? And they are greatly esteemed. And their popularity grows. And it's kind of funny because they usually start in a place where, like, I don't care what anybody thinks, right? It's just me and my music, right? Until <laughs> people start to pay for their music. Yeah? And, and then, what is the same story that repeats? What comes with fame and popularity? Yeah, they eventually break up. They're all in rehab and out of rehab and back in rehab and out of rehab. And now the people that were on album covers that you think uh, were amazing and were like teen idols, you think, my God, I'm embarrassed that I ever thought that person was anything. Yeah? Is my wife the only one liked all those hair bands? Yeah, have you seen those guys today? Have you seen them? Why is the story always the same? Apparently, we come from some pretty diseased stock that makes the same bad decisions time and time and time and time again. How many people do you know that money has made them happy? Yeah. Yeah, uh, there's a man that has a show on, on TV teaching other people to be just like him. And he, he's one of the richest in the world. And what's he on? Wife number six now? You know? I mean, he trades them in like cars. Is that a sign of a happy and contented man? There's only one judge. Could you have looked at him at some point in your life and thought, that's the epitome of everything that is success, though? Could you have looked at a woman like maybe Heidi Baker, who has nothing, lives in the middle of Mozambique, Africa, doesn't know how she's going to eat from day to day, and think, man, she missed the boat. Let me ask you, who do you think is richer in God's eyes? Who do you think the judge has taken note of? in their lives. We do not have the ability to do this. And we need to be careful about doing it. I want to read to you something out of Genesis 19. I, I almost never lie when I preach. And if I do, it is always about Jennifer. So uh, since she's, she's not the subject here, don't, don't worry about that. I'll read it to you or you can turn there. This is Genesis 19. I want you to hear how this story plays out. This is Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed. Uh, there are some pretty ugly folks outside of Lot's door uh, who are bent on doing some nastiness. Uh, Judges, or I'm sorry, Genesis 19:9. Get out of our way, they replied, and they said, "This fellow came here as an alien, and now he wants to play the judge." Even in the heart of lost men, we know that there is only one judge, and you kind of innately resent it when somebody has elevated themselves be way up here and you are down there. They see accurately into your life, right? Nobody likes an authority that is exalted above them and is judging them. And these guys are rebelling against it. By the way, who's playing the judge here? It's Lot. And what, what did his great wisdom show him? Hey, don't rape the angels. I've got daughters. Are you kidding me? That's one of the more embarrassing things that's in the Bible, isn't it? Yeah. Pretty, pretty seriously flawed judgment, huh? And the Bible says Lot was a righteous man vexed in his righteous soul. So how does that work? Apparently, being in love with God does not fix your sound mind. 
It doesn't mean that because now you're born again, all of your thoughts are good ones. It doesn't mean that your decision-making process is always a good one. So what makes us think rightly that we can judge the people around us? Well, that's an easy one. Jesus spoke directly to it. What makes you think rightly you have sober judgment about your own life? I almost never met a woman that thought she was skinny enough. Almost never. Could you say that that's a seriously flawed judgment? I mean, if we can see your ribs through your shirt, and yet you don't think you're skinny enough, is something wrong? Yeah, probably so. I never met a man that didn't derive some level of his worth from what he did for a living. They're usually obsessed with talking about it. It's one of the first things guys say when they meet each other. Hey, my name's Eric. What's yours? Hey, dude, what do you do for a living? Isn't that, I mean, what if you're a garbage man? Is that how you introduce yourself? <laughs> right? So why do we do that? We want to be judged and evaluated certain ways. We want to present certain things. Guys, there's only one judge that we have to present ourselves to. This is why Romans 14 says... Don't judge your brother to his own master, he stands or falls. Right? To his own master, he stands or falls. And yet, the scripture's not so clear as just to say, don't judge each other. There are other times it says, judge them, and you will know them by their fruit. Sometimes, these contradictory statements are crammed into the very same chapter. <laughs> same chapter that says, don't judge lest you be just, also tells you to judge false teachers. Right? Even if the English word's not there, it's the same Greek word. Isn't that amazing? How about Exodus 2? You remember that, you, you can turn there if you want, I think I'm going to tell you about it though. It's Exodus 2.14. You remember that Moses, he is uh, kind of coming into his own, he's about 40 years old, and uh, he goes out, realizing that he's a Hebrew, and he looks and sees two Hebrew men fighting, and what's he do? Kills one of them, and what's the... He hides the evidence in the sand. He looks this way, he looks that way, and buries the dude, right? That's like a, a serious mafia hit. I mean, <laughs> he killed him and hid the body, right? The response of the people is what is amazing, though. Who made you ruler and judge over us? There's no thought as to who is actually right or wrong. The question is, what makes you think you have the right to come and make these decisions for us. The ironic thing about this is Moses would later have that authority from God. But he doesn't have it here. And there's a real unique message in that. There are situations in which you are given authority to make judgment, and more importantly, there are situations in which you were never given authority to make judgment. Now, which do you think is a bigger column in your life? Do you think that God has invested in you the wisdom, His power, and His Spirit... To make right judgments about many things or few things? Do you think you take it upon yourself to make judgments about many things or few things? I found out that I'm a pretty opinionated fool at times. And that God is displeased with that. When I first began to contemplate this message, I was standing in a local coffee shop in another state. And the man in front of me says, Yeah, I think, uh, I think I'm a latte. I'm standing behind him. <laughs> and uh, as they started to fix it, he goes, no, 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 I, I think I want a macchiato. <laughs> and I was having a hard time with this uh, because I was in a hurry, right? One of the times we make the worst judgments is when we are rushed and don't have time to inquire of God. So needless to say, Pastor was not inquiring of God. But to my shame, I was wearing uh, those pants that men run in, jogging type pants. 
And when they served me my coffee, they put it on the edge of the counter and I bumped it. And you know where it spilled? Oh. <laughs> right in the moment in my mind where I thought, look at this uh, less than intelligent person. That thought went through my mind. Scalding coffee uh, struck me in not such a nice place. And I began to realize something. Who am I to judge him? Who's the idiot now? Right? Now, he didn't even know. This was all going on in the confines of my mind. But who was the idiot now? There's one judge that we stand or fall to. And I made a great number of assumptions about that man's life by listening to him order coffee. Can you really assess a man's character by the way he orders coffee? Can you really sum up the worth of a man's life in a few seconds by the way he orders coffee? Well, if you can't do it by the way he orders coffee, how about the way he handles one situation? How about one week in his life? How about one year in his life? I guess it depends on how many years he lives, doesn't it? Do you know that? Do you know how many years the person on your left or right is going to live? Are you going to get a chance to examine the sum total of their life, the volume of their works for God? then what makes us think that we can rightly judge them when we haven't even heard the whole case? What makes you think that you can rightly judge yourself, those of you that look in the mirror and see something less than what God created? Are you dead yet? Is it finished? Have the books been closed? So what gives you the right to step in before the trial's even over and render a judgment that says that you're worthless, that says that you're no good? What gives you that right? I was married young, so Jennifer got me young and raised me the way she wanted me. uh, I was young, and I didn't know how to deal with her uh, seductive ways. And uh, (laughs) I told you, I I rarely lie when preaching. When I do, it's about Jennifer. That was a warning. One of the things that we established early on, though, is she would say things sometimes about herself that were not flattering. And uh, I didn't know why it made me angry. I just knew it made me angry. Right? As I began to think about it, I realized that the reason it made me angry is the same reason that if my neighbor said something ugly about Jennifer. I love Jennifer very much. And to hear her speak negatively about herself is not some strange form of false humility. It is stepping in God's role as the judge and passing judgment on herself. And friends, it's distasteful when we do it to someone else, but it's also distasteful when we do it to ourselves. So we started a little thing. I said, hey, you stop talking about my wife that way or I'll smack you. It was a joke. I don't hit my wife. <laughs> and sometimes she'd poke her finger in my chest and say, does that make you feel like a man? Smack me. Does that make you feel like <laughs> We were kids, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, she's turning four shades of red now. <laughs> the, the point here being, there's only one judge. There is only one. Now, does this mean that you walk around like an automaton? You, you are a, a, a mindless fool who is not able to properly discern anything? Now, this is not what I mean when I say you don't have a sound mind. But w- what we need to recognize is that our sight is limited. Our understanding is limited. And we might need to shy away from passing eternal judgments upon people uh, based on mere appearances. Uh, turn with me to Deuteronomy 1. It's going to be a foundational verse here. 
I heard a preacher speaking the other night. He said, I would like to all to turn to Leviticus. And then he waited and he said, no, I wasn't joking. Uh, please turn to Leviticus. And uh, apparently in that church, that was not something they did very often. And I heard the most amazing sermon out of Leviticus. It was unbelievable what the guy taught. Uh, but we're in Deuteronomy. You in one, look at verse 17. Do not show partiality in judging. Hear both small and great alike. Do not be afraid of any man, for judgment belongs to God. Bring me any case too hard for you, and I will hear it. And at that time, I, I told you everything you were to do. When God began to set up his nation, he invested in one man, his spirit, and the ability to judge. That one man delegated that investment to 70 other men. Uh, and this pleased God. And they had the ability to judge because God's Spirit had been poured into them in that way. But he said judgment belongs to God. What I want to submit to you is that there is a difference between being the judge and rendering his judgment. We need to think of our judgment as more or less being like the courier service. The guy who takes the message, the bailiff, who was the old white guy, Rusty, the bailiff on Wapner's court, who, who takes the judgment from the judge... And comes and presents it to somebody to read to the jury. We are never supposed to be sitting in the judge's chair. We're simply supposed to be gathering his judgment and reading it to other people. Now let me ask you something. How many times do you think you could go get the verdict from the judge and then stand up and go and tell him what you think anyway? You'd probably get arrested, wouldn't you? Probably get thrown. That'd probably be contempt for the judge's court, wouldn't it? <laughs> How about you just stood up from the audience and walked over to the jury and said, look, uh, I'm going to give you a verdict here. What do you think they would do? Would anybody listen to you? Would you have any authority? Why are we listening to people that have no authority from the judge to give us his verdict in our lives? How many times I've been told I'm a failure in my life? You know, but that's not what the judge says. How many times I was told this church would never make it? It would never get off the ground? Some people, the very closest people to me in my life said I was a mad little boy with my arms crossed, stomping my feet, refusing to hear from God. Well, if that's true, how'd y'all get here? Yeah? People don't have the ability to make right judgment. So our question needs to be, when you hear something, let's, let's start with something that's about you. Did this come from the judge, or is this person playing the judge? And you are not allowed to accept it if it didn't come from the judge. I know what it's like to move my entire family from one state to another, see no visible signs of success for years, right? Not, not, not days, not weeks, for years. And every time you pick up the phone and talk with the brothers, right, who all mean well to encourage you, they're like, hey, what's going on? And you're like, nothing. Come on, man, anything. Somebody got saving. And you, you almost want to create something for them, you know? Well, I mean, I did see a good movie this week. <laughs> yeah. Come on, man, what's going on with the church? Well, I invited the neighbors on that side, and I invited the neighbors on that side. They said, yeah, and? They said, no. You know, seemed like every pastor that I met was bizarre. I mean, bizarre. Matt's real estate agent was an ex-pastor, you know. He said, guys, in Sugarland, are you kidding me? He said, everybody's trying. That's not going to work. There's a religious spirit in that area. You need to give up now. That's what he told us. They're like... You better have a good house to show us, dude. Uh, right? This was not God's judgment. But 
much judgment have you received in your life that wasn't God and you internalized it? Did somebody tell you you were stupid when you were in the sixth grade and you stood to read or do a math problem on the board and you've thought of yourself as stupid since? Did somebody make a degrading comment about your body and ever since then you're insecure about it? Right? What has happened? Are we, are we listening to the counsel of the judge or all the people playing the judge? Because I tell you, you won't find not one example in the scripture of a man who did a good job rendering his own judgment. All of the judges who did right things in Israel heard from God and presented his judgment because judgment belongs to God. There's a phrase that you ought to get. You ought to put it on a card and throw it in your pocket. You ought to underline it in your Bible if you need to, especially you girls. Write it on those giant magnifying mirrors that you keep with those spotlights that you stare at yourself and take care of all of those blemishes. Judgment belongs to God. Usually when you hear this, you hear this about don't judge other people. That is a problem. But I think the bigger problem is the judgments that we receive and we accept that didn't come from a just authority. Hmm? How about this one? Let's go ahead and go uh, to Matthew 7. I think we ought to tackle these. And since it's such a beautiful day, we're going to get you out of here early today. I'm so glad you didn't applaud. That would have hurt my feelings. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm not as fragile as I look. I actually had to go way to the back of the closet today. I'm in a downturn in my dieting phase. Uh, I found a great love for donuts. And, uh, I managed to eat six of them today, which incidentally is uh, the number of sin. <laughs> Uh, if you let the circumstances in your life tell you what to think about yourself, saints, you'll never accomplish anything for God that is supernatural, that is beyond the natural. If only the people that have it together... I, I passed a church here recently that I really liked what they wrote up there. I'm scared to say it because I don't know anything about the church. But it said, jacked up. No perfect people allowed. I thought that was great. A giant sign across the church that says, Jacked up, no perfect people allowed. I thought, we need to meet them. There's find a church we can get along with. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. The mystery of the gospel is not that God takes people that are perfect and does something with them. It's that he takes the imperfect and works perfection right through them. I mean... Okay, so let's read the familiar scripture in Matthew 7. Yeah, young people, if I said something that was like a curse, let me know. Every once in a while, I will repeat the common vernacular, and it's not always good. I did okay? Like, I'm looking at my... See, Gabe is like my barometer there. He can tell me whether I went too far and that or not. Oh, Matthew 7. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do we always stop right here? In fact, the next time you're lovingly trying to share a scripture with somebody and they go, ah, 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 all judge actually did this to me, right? Uh, remarkable man. I admired him very much. There were some pretty seriously unwholesome areas of his life because he was lost. I mean, birds fly, dogs bark, and sinners sin. I mean, it's not a surprise, right? So as I began talking to him about, you know, maybe that's not, maybe that's not the most beneficial way to live, Paul, you know. I mean, I can see a lot of heartache and a lot of scars in your life from that. 
he shoved his finger right in my face and said, uh, uh, uh. I actually gave the waggle, you know. <laughs> judge not, lest you be judged. Now, I was young and stupid. I had not much changed, except I'm no longer young. And I said, what's the next verse, Paul? He didn't know. I said, are you really qualified to quote God if you don't know what he said before or after it? It ended our conversation. I won an argument and almost lost a friend. Looked like both of us showed that judgment, huh? How about that? Listen to what he goes on to talk about. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Uh, There's a parallel scripture to this that I think makes it very clear. It's in Luke 6. Turn there. You never hear this quoted out of Luke. I'm not real sure why. I I think it's almost that people read Matthew and never make it uh, to Luke. (laughs) Luke 6, pick up with me in the 37th verse. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Did you notice after both statements in both books, eyesight was a real problem? He said, how can you see if you've got a, a, a plank in your eye trying to remove the speck from this, this guy's eye? In this one, he says, can the blind lead the blind? The problem is not that man is not capable of rendering a judgment. The problem is he doesn't see clearly to correctly discern it. It's not that you were not designed to be able to render God's judgment. The problem is that the judgment cannot be based merely on what you see. The problem is with eyesight. I've been told, no, no, Eric. The problem is with the content of what's being judged. I'm going to show you a scripture towards the end of this message that says, the man with the Spirit makes judgment about all things. There is no limit, no area, no no area of inquiry that God can't show you what His judgment is. Where the limit is, is in your ability to see it on your own. And why? Both parables tell us why. You yourself are blind, trying to instruct a blind person. Or you yourself have something in your eye. You ever had something in your eye? Cause you to water? And We're watching a movie the other night, and Jennifer's contact went awry. And she was eating popcorn, so... The soul. And all. I mean, it was nasty, right? All running, she's trying to look at the movie like this. That warps your perspective, doesn't it? Yeah. We cannot make right judgments when left <coughs> to our own. Kind of like if you can imagine an airplane pilot, right, arguing with the tower. The airplane pilot is told, you know, I want you to descend to 35,000 feet, make your speed 580 miles per hour. He says, you know, that doesn't look like a good decision to me. I would rather fly high. What is the radio tower looking at? They're looking at a screen that shows them where all the other planes are. The pilot can only see what he can see. Saints, so many times, so many times, We make our judgments based on such a limited perspective. In my own life, I summed up an entire man's life based on the way that he ordered 
think sometimes we need to learn to let God's perspective prevail in our lives. Now, how hard is that? In fact, it's impossible to see a situation. Have you ever wondered about Samuel? Samuel is a prophet, right? And not just a prophet. I mean, a prophet du jour. This guy was amazing. And he shows up at Jesse's house, right? It's not there for Jesse's girl. That's another song. (laughs) He's there for one of Jesse's sons. And where does he start? Now, this guy's filled with the Spirit of God. He raises up and brings down kings of nations based on God's judgments flowing through him. But where did he start? He had to learn that God doesn't look at the things man looks at. So a righteous man filled with God's Spirit. Even the Apostle Paul said we had to learn not to judge men according to the flesh. We once looked at Christ in this way, but we do so no longer. Ten years after the resurrection of Jesus... Peter still would not go into a Gentile's house because he judged him to be unclean. God had to show up and speak to him in a way that Peter could understand it. Food. He repeated the vision three times. We are limited in our perspective. How many times has somebody done something and you thought, that's it. That is the end of our relationship. We're done. Really? You can see the end from the beginning like God? You sure? Who told you to make that judgment? For years I had a, a problem as I crossed the Mississippi River Bridge into the city I grew up in. I was flooded with thoughts about uh, the way that I left, which was not all that pleasant. And it was difficult. And when those thoughts would come to my mind, the first thing that would happen is I would begin to make judgments. I'd think, oh, well, if I see this person, I will. If I see that person, I won't. And... If such and such happens, and you run through random scenarios in your mind, making judgments, left, right, and we find a sense of security in it. It's kind of like putting everything in its place. Has God authorized us to do that? Are we receiving that verdict from the judge to read to the jury? Are we taking it upon ourselves and playing the judge? Because when you play the judge, you could end up with Nations like uh, Lot's daughters produced that are warriors against you for years. You could end up having to bury something in the sand and run for your life like Moses. We don't do a very good job of being the judge. Maybe this is what Paul meant when he said judge nothing before the appointed time. Judge nothing before the appointed time. Some commentators say, oh, I think Paul means by that the day of judgment. No, there is a day in which all men's secrets will be laid bare, period. But the appointed time is when God renders his decision for you. Let's be honest. If you took a spiritual inventory of your life, if you're like me, probably most of the serious mistakes in your life came when you didn't give God time to show you what he wanted. You simply did what you wanted. We have about a uh, 48-hour maximum window before we act usually to things important to us. When I was a car salesman, I was taught to manipulate that. Everybody says when they pull up on a car lot, I'm just looking. Really? Well, we sold 210 cars this month, and they were all just looking too. So how did that work? The statistics are within 72 hours of stepping onto a car lot, people buy cars. But they all say the same thing. I am just looking. Apparently, we're not great judges, not even of our own behavior. Maybe we could slow things down a little bit, realize God's not in such a hurry, and not pass judgment in every situation. Hmm? 
How about this one? Turn with me to John 8. Yeah, it did get hot, didn't it? In John 8, Jesus puts his uh, finger on the pulse of the problem. Verse 14. Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are right, because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. I want you to think about that back in the courtroom setting. I don't judge anybody. But if I do bring you a judgment, it's right, because I stand with the Father. In other words, Jesus did not pass a judgment in himself on anybody. But if he gave you a judgment, it came from the Father whom he was standing with. So his judgments were right. And whose judgments were wrong? Everybody that passed judgment based on the human standard. Was there anybody in here who's not human? <laughs> and we've got a problem if there is, right? So what else are you supposed to use? Hmm? I mean, what do you think comes most naturally to you? A human standard or some other? I mean, come on, some of you think highly of yourselves, but are a deity? Are you kidding me? <laughs> right? Think about that. Can you imagine being told, look, don't do that like a human. Well, what are you supposed to do it like? <laughs> Don't judge like a human. <laughs> well, what am I supposed to do? You're supposed to stand with the Father and get His judgments. See, one puts you as a noun, the judge, and the other puts you as just delivering a judgment, gives you a verb to offer. You are never the judge. Now, if you limit only your speech to what you hear the Father say or see Him doing, we're probably a quiet bunch of people, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, probably so. But wouldn't you like to at least know that of matters of importance, that you're limiting your speech, that you're limiting your judgments to what the Father has shown you? And the great question to judge or not to judge, the answer is you make the judgments the Father shows you to make. But let's be honest. Did He really show you? You better be sure about things that are important. Huh? And then if He did... You can't rightly be judged by anybody. The test of a man in the kingdom is not whether or not you see great uh, results. The test of a man in the kingdom is was he obedient to what he was told to do. One plants, one waters, and God gets the increase. That means that the guy who plants walks off without seeing any fruit of his labor. And the one that waters is not even sure there was seed in the ground. He's just being obedient. Come on now. Now, that might be easy to read about, but I want to assure you from a personal standpoint, it's not so easy to do. It can be pretty darn difficult to say, Lord, I'm pouring the water where you said. It just looks like dirt to me. May have been some chickens or something here. This is not even good dirt you brought me to. Are you sure this is right? The whole time people are walking by saying, what is that idiot doing? I think he's standing over somebody's oil change spot. And he thinks something's going to grow there. The test is not whether or not it looks successful to you. It's were you obedient and did your judgments come from God. i read you verse 16. But if I do judge, I did. Okay, move with me then to John 7, 24. 
we've got just a few scriptures. We're going to wrap it up. And because I love you, I'm going to keep you in the book of John. John 7. I lied. I'm, we are going to stay in the book of John, but I'm going to close in a different book. We all allow me that? That'd be okay with you, Greg? Greg's known me as long as anybody else here. He came, probably nobody came any further than from uh, Greenwood Springs, Louisiana, huh? Okay, well then we're going to defer to Greg. <laughs> okay, so in uh, 7.24, listen to this. Stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. The same God who said, judge not lest you be judged, like how I revert to King James there. <laughs> Just not lest you be judged. Also said, make a right judgment. So on one hand you're told not to judge, and on another hand you're told to make a right judgment. Which is it? The problem is the standard that we use. Is it going to be mere appearances, or what Jude calls mere natural instinct? You know Jude lays the blame for church splits on men who follow their mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. <laughs> you're going to be led by something, friends. It's possible that you're led by a satanic spirit. That's possible. Ephesians 2 lays it out there very clearly. It's also possible that you're led by your own spirit. And it's possible that you're led by God's spirit. In those three scenarios, there's only one that leads to life. As many as are led by the spirit of God are the sons of God. Have you ever read that in Romans 8? As many as are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. It's funny, we'll put a certificate on a wall calling somebody the son of God because they repeated something they memorized. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Things say it, man, they're a son of God. It's not what the whole book of Romans says. When you are led by the Spirit of God, you're a son of God. One way you know whether somebody's led by the Spirit of God is you look to see, was this birthed out of their flesh? Was this birthed out of some malicious desire? Or was this birthed out of God's Spirit? And you know what? God's Spirit knows God's Spirit. <laughs> As deep cries out to deep, where it says. Stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. Our judgment in the Bible is presented as blind. It's presented as a mere appearance. It's summed up as human standards. It's never presented as a good thing. Turn with me to John 9. Nine thirty-five. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when they found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Isn't it great that a guy gets healed and he doesn't even know who Jesus is? So much for the great faith healing messages, right? <laughs> he doesn't even know who Jesus is, and he got healed. Friends, healing works based on the mercy of God, and faith is a definite component. But if you ever thought that somebody simply did not get healed because they didn't have enough faith, you're missing this is, this is not a mathematical equation. I assure you, people with great trust in God die every day. That's how every one of the apostles is not here standing here with us. Right? Some of them were drawn and quartered. What, did their faith just not hold them together? Are you kidding me? When God moves in those ways, it's His mercy. Right? Your trust gives Him a medium for it to flow through, but it's His mercy. He's sovereign. So, Lord have mercy, this man was saved. And verse 36, Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so I may believe in him. He's talking to Jesus and said, Who is this son of man? Tell me that I might believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. 
Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world. Very interesting since in the third chapter he said he didn't come for judgment. Hmm? said the verdict had already been issued. Amazing. Jesus refused to pass judgment on people and yet he said there was a verdict already in the world. How could that be? God's truth is there and how men respond to it. Show the judge what they want. Truth or a lie. But this next part is the part we wanted to get to. For judgment I have come into the world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Men who claim, who make judgments by the standards of this world and claim to see rightly, God will pronounce as blind. Men who admit their weakness, men who admit that their mere natural instincts are not enough, men who refrain from judging because they are unable to make right judgment, Jesus will make see clearly. This is that moment in which you're watching somebody in India with nothing who maybe smells. Maybe is offensive to every one of your natural sentences. And all of a sudden you look and go, my God, this is a daughter of the King Most High. And you feel an instant camaraderie and a sense of fellowship. It's a moment when you're in a garbage dump in Matamoros and a kid that is covered in nastiness hugs you and you realize this is Jesus. He will show you His judgments. As many as are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. This is what took a white privileged woman from Malibu, California and put her in the center of Mozambique, Africa. Y'all know I'm reading that book. Always enough. She got the mind of Christ in the matter. And she found out that what is unlovely to us is often very lovely to God. Anybody in here remember when we offered Jacob's hair in a Nazarite vow? Way to sacrifice for the team, buddy. Do you know that God calls that a sweet-smelling aroma? It took us months to get that nasty smell out of this church. It took us months. We burned human hair in here as a sermon illustration. I think Miss Suzanne had to leave the building over it, right? See people around going... Our human standards are not what God judges things by. Only he could look at a bloody sacrifice and say, the death of my saints are pleasing in my sight. But Psalm says it. What about it? It could be pleasing. Everything about me recoils from it. Our God loves when we admit, admit human weakness and take his strength upon us. Paul was a powerful minister, would you say? And yet, Colossians 1.29, it doesn't say that Paul ministered in his strength. He said, I labor to this end with all of his energy which works so powerfully in me. When we lay something of ourselves down, we have the opportunity to be filled with something of God. And what I want to tell you is if you lay down your ability to judge other people and even yourself, you suddenly have the ability to see yourself as God sees you. And you begin to have the ability to see others as God sees them. But this is a process that is learned, saints. It's learned through constant use of the Word. Constant restraint of the flesh. One of the most disheartening things that I see in church is people say, I've heard from God, and I know good and well there is not even the most remote chance that they heard from God. Because they've been ticked off since the moment they began to inquire about it. And there is no shalom. There is no peace. There is no sign, no fruit of God. I want to tell you, when you hear from God, you could literally be crucified publicly and be at peace with Him. 
because you are doing what He told you to do and you feel His judgment working through you. This is what it means when we say be led by our peace, by God's peace. Uh, turn with me to John 5. We're on our second to last scripture here. That gets you excited, doesn't it? It's amazing how much Jesus had to say about judgment. You know, Matthew and Luke included the judge not lest you be judged scripture. John didn't even include it. He mentions judgment about six, seven times as much as they do. But he never includes that scripture. All the things that John talks about are right judgments. And how Jesus made judgment. Isn't that interesting? He's kind of like some of you. He refused to be synoptic. He refused to just go with the crowd. He painted the picture of Jesus that he saw. And it's beautiful. They're all right. They're all looking from different angles, and they are all right. God is a 70-sided stone, and his brilliance shines no matter which way you turn him. But I'm always drawn to the Gospel of John because he had a different time. The way, the way in which he presents things are just different. He looked at the same scene everybody else saw, and he saw something different, and God used him to do that. Well, there's a message in that, saints. Do you remember how he got his start? You son of Boanerges. He was a son of thunder. He wanted to call down fire on people, and there's some indication that he had lived a life that was physically violent. Do you remember how he ends? He's an apostle of love, teaching in Ephesus until he dies. Having been boiled in oil, and it didn't kill him. Having worked on the Roman Isle of Patmos, and it did not break him. Having written the book of Revelation, and yet still full of faith and confidence. That is amazing transformation. When you let God work through you, when you offer Him your eyes and say, they don't see right, would you help me here? And you get eyes to see and ears to hear, the whole world begins to look different. We sing about it almost every day. There's light enough to see. Y'all in John 5? 5.27. In 5.24, I lied, 26, how about that? We'll split the difference. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge, because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear the voice, his voice, and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. He goes on to talk about how weighty his testimony is. Saints, our goal needs to be that we render God's judgment. Hear me. Not just about other people, but about ourselves. So if the word says you're fearfully and wonderfully made, and of this you are certain, how do you view yourself? The word says without faith it's impossible to please God. And you stepped out in faith, and maybe it hasn't turned out just like you wanted. Maybe your life looks like a mess. How are you going to judge yourself? Did you step out in faith? Because the Word says it pleases God. So no matter what you think of your circumstances, the Word says you are pleasing to God. I'm not in the habit of feel-good messages. This is about all you're going to get from me. But I do want you to see yourself as God sees you. That's very important. Too often we have worn around our neck a scarlet letter that God never intended for us to wear. Even when He put a mark on Cain, why did He do it? To protect him. To protect him. So if you feel like you have a letter around your neck, 
It needs to be to protect you. It's your weaknesses that show God's strength. It's not your strengths. I feel like the Lord gave me this message for this group of people. What's beautiful about it is in our church on any given Sunday, there'll be a third that I don't even know whether you're going to be here or not. The good news is we're making room every Sunday. I get to preach to the entire city of Houston like this. Right? We'll do it 70 at a time. We'll move them in and move them out. But you need to know that this message was for you today. The God of the universe wants you to see yourself rightly. And He wants other people to see you rightly. We're going to turn to 1 Corinthians 2. This is our very last scripture. Matt's going to come up and we'll close our service in worship. But if this is the last one, it's probably the most important. So don't tune it out. First Corinthians 2, starting in 9. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. Why haven't you seen it and haven't heard it? Because the Bible presents you as limited to human standards, blind and deaf. But, God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. It is good to claim that you're blind. So that he can reveal it by his spirit. The spirit searches all things. Even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man. Except the man's spirit within him. In the same way. No one knows the thoughts of God. Except the spirit of God. We have not received the spirit of the world. But the spirit who is from God. That we may understand what he has freely given us. Our king doesn't want our eyes not to work and our ears not to work. He wants us to freely understand what he's giving us. So he gave us his spirit to illuminate the proper judgments to us. To show us how we should view the world. How we should view our neighbors. How we should view ourselves. This is what we speak. Not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit. Expressing spiritual truths and spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He's blind. He cannot accept them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. You have the right to do whatever God has told you to do, and nobody has the right to tell you otherwise. You have the right... To speak what he has told you to speak. And nobody has the right to stop you. It doesn't matter whether they have a seat in the United Nations. And have the ability to burn you at the stake. When God has said. Who is man to kick against it? But when God has not said saints. We must refrain. Whether it's about ourselves or someone else. The goal of this message is to get you. To begin to inquire of God. About every area of your life. Lord, is this what you judge is right for me? Is this what you judge is good for me? You're the judge. I'm just the man. Tune my ears to your command, Lord. Render your judgments to me and through me and for me. To the extent that you do that, saints, you can proudly call him Lord, owner and controller. To the extent that you refuse to do that, you're just sitting in his seat. And by the way, John 19 it's the only time in all of Scripture that a man sits in the judge's seat. 
He sits down in a place called the Stone Pavement. In Aramaic, it's Gabbatha, the place of the judge's seat. That's what the NIV says. It was Pilate, and he was judging Jesus. Did he rightly judge him? Yeah. Man's never done good in that chair. Why don't you give it up? Why don't you just give it up? Let's let him be Lord. Let's be his people. As we worship, you do whatever you need to do. There's no format here. If you want to pray with somebody, grab them and pray with them. I'd be happy to do that with you. If you want to worship and then just fade out into the beautiful day, that's just fine. Know this, though. You're loved here. You're welcomed here. It's not an act. We don't have anything fake in us. We're telling you because it's true. And if we didn't feel that way, I'd tell you that, too. Some of you know me long enough. We've done it publicly. We'd ask you to get out. But we love you and we want you here. We believe God brought you here today for a reason. And we think He designed the message for you. Amen. Let's worship.
interaction that God will teach us all how to walk with Him better. I feel like it's that kind of bond that the Lord builds that will stand against persecution. That's, that's our feeling. On Wednesday, we'll have another service. You're going to preach that? What was that message about? Pressure washing. Matt's going to preach on pressure washing Wednesday. He didn't know that until just now, but he messed up and made a suggestion on what we are to preach on this morning. So he gets that. And uh, isn't that great? Yeah. Uh, towards the end of the month, I'll have you a date soon. Our Nigerian pastor friend is bringing his group here to pray on Saturday. Friends, you, you can't wait to hear these guys pray. It is amazing. It's like lighting the air on fire. And uh, we're planning another Mexico trip, so y'all be in prayer. I'm going to take some of you now that we figured out how to do this. So we're going to pray. We're going to close our service. Play that one? Yeah. We'll sing another song for those of you that just are addicted to this stuff like me. And uh, y'all enjoy the day. Enjoy the week. Look, he created you to be free. He created you to enjoy life. 1 Timothy 6 says that all those things that he's given you, he gave you for your enjoyment. So have a good time, but offer it all to him and use it any way he sees uh, fit for you to use it, okay? Mighty God, Lord, we pray that your hand be upon this group of people. Lord, your family. You are our daddy, and we are your children. Correct us, Lord God. Rebuke us. But we're asking that you would encourage us and uphold us. Our trust is in you. At this point, we'll worry about the instructions you give us. And we'll let you worry about the obstructions in our way. We trust you, Lord God. We are following you with all of our heart. You're the control tower. And we're just the pilots. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.